God's Word comes to us this morning from Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, let's turn there together and we'll begin reading at verse 10 and read through verse 31. The text for the sermon this morning is verses 21 through 28. I'm not going to reread that section again. So pay special attention to that section, 21 through 28. Matthew 15, beginning at verse 10. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly, and is cast out into the drought? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Now the words of our text. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But, and that word but there probably should be and. And he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. And Jesus departed from thence, and came nigh into the sea of Galilee, and went up into a mountain, and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel." To that point we read the holy and inspired word of Jehovah God. Beloved of God, in verse 21 of our text, 
we learn that the Lord Jesus left Israelite territory and went up to Tyre and Sidon. If you can picture in your mind the rough outline of Palestine, and if you think of this as the Sea of Galilee, and down here is the Dead Sea, Tyre and Sidon are up here, two cities just along the Mediterranean coast, the region of Phoenicia, Gentile territory. In the context, the Lord has received one after the other faithless responses to his preaching and his miracles. That begins all the way back in chapter 14. In the first part of chapter 14, Jesus heals the 5,000, or rather feeds the 5,000, giving them bread. You remember what the multitude does after that. They all gather around him and try to make him into an earthly king. And when he refuses, we read what from that crowd? We read that they all departed. They left him. Faithless response to what he had done. Shortly after that, we read in chapter 14 that Jesus walks on the Sea of Galilee to his disciples who are in a fishing boat on that sea. And as he's walking on the water towards them, Peter wants to walk on the water too. So he gets out of the boat, and as long as he looks at Jesus Christ in faith, he too walks on the water, but he soon begins to look away and to doubt, and he starts to sink. And we read that Jesus says to him, O ye of little faith, why do you doubt? Again, a faithless response now from the disciples. At the beginning of chapter 15, our chapter this morning, the Pharisees come to Jesus to accuse him of sin for not washing his hands before he eats something. And Jesus says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but it's what comes out of his mouth from the heart that defiles a man. The Pharisees are faithless. But then Peter himself doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. And the Lord responds to Peter, are you also still without understanding? Again, a faithless response now from one of his disciples. And that's when we read in verse 21, the word then, then. After all of this faithless response to his preaching and his acts. Jesus goes away. He leaves Israelite territory and goes to Gentile territory and to this particular woman to show the disciples the faith of this woman. This is what faith looks like. It's supposed to be for the disciples and for us to a sharp contrast between all of these faithless responses of the Pharisees and others and even of the weak faith of the disciples, and this faith-filled response of this Gentile woman. And for us this morning, to be an encouragement to us, to lead us into a strong faith as we prepare to come to the table of the Lord next Sunday morning with faith like hers, a humble, persistent faith, a faith for a crumb. It's not his first an exposed faith.
as the Lord Jesus brings her faith out. Second, a beautiful faith, what her faith was. And third, an answered faith. Faith for a crumb, an exposed faith, a beautiful faith, and an answered faith. Beloved of God, this passage, the interaction of the Lord with this woman is highly unusual. In Mark's account, which is the only parallel account of this history, we read that when Jesus got to Gentile territory, he entered into a house. We don't know anything more than that. Was this the house of somebody that he knew? Not very likely, since it's Gentile territory. Is it the house of someone who knew him and so invited him in? Possible. Is it simply a a house in which there's room for the public to purchase something to eat? That could be too. We don't know for sure. But whatever the case, while he is there in this house, this Gentile woman from this Gentile land who in some way knows the Lord and knows him quite well, knows his miracles, knows his preaching, knows the scriptures concerning him, notices that he's there and falls down at his feet crying out for him to heal her daughter. That, of course, is not the unusual part about this passage. Things like that are happening often in the Lord's ministry, but it's the Lord's response to this woman that is what is so highly unusual. In fact, it's downright strange on the surface of it. The Lord's response to this woman finds no parallel in all of the rest of the recorded life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Normally, if someone comes to the Lord in humility and in genuine faith and expresses to him a need, the Lord has pity, compassion that he expresses toward that person immediately. To be sure, he has harsh words for the Pharisees, but that's because they are so full of pride and stubbornness and will not humble themselves before him as the Son of God made flesh. But for the needy and for the broken and for those filled with faith, he always has a gentle response, gentle words, and he's happy to heal those who come to him that way or who bring others to him in that way. Luke 4, verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And then even more strikingly, in our very passage in verse 30. This is why I read past our text through verse 30. Right after this interaction with this woman, we read in verse 30, and great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Right after this interaction with this woman, and yet in his interaction with this particular woman, who is humbled and who is expressing faith to him. He's so cold towards her. And in fact, downright rude towards her. There are three stages to the interaction between this woman and the Lord Jesus. And in every one of those stages, his response to her gets more and more frigid. In the first, 
He simply ignores her. She cries out to him, verse 22, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. That would normally be something that would lead the Lord to turn in pity towards someone who said something like that. But we read in verse 23 that he answered her, not a word. He just flat out ignored her. How cold this seems to be. And in the original language, this woman is saying this, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. She's not saying that just once, but she's repeatedly crying out to him, have mercy on me, O Lord, have mercy on me, as though she's trying to get his attention. She keeps crying out to him, and he just does one of these. He just turns away from her, maybe talks to somebody else, just ignores her. How strange. What's going on here? If the Lord gives her the cold of his silence first, in the second stage of their interaction, he gives her a cold shoulder. The disciples get tired of this woman repeatedly crying out to him. They're annoyed with her. And so they tell Jesus, finally, just just send her away. Just tell her to go away. Verse 23, And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. She keeps crying after us. And then in verse 24, it seems the Lord does just that. Verse 24, Is not spoken to the disciples. It's important that we understand that it wouldn't make any sense if it's spoken to the disciples. Instead, it's spoken to her. I am not sent, he says to this woman, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The reason why I'm ignoring you is because you are a Gentile woman in a Gentile land, and I'm not sent to the Gentiles. I am sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This was, of course, true, generally speaking. The Apostle Paul would speak of it later in Romans 15, verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. The Lord was a minister of the circumcision. Circumcision are the Jews. He was a preacher to the Jews for the truth of Jehovah God. The Lord was sent right into the heart of the Old Testament church. As Revelation 12 says, he's born out of the woman of the Old Testament church and comes in his ministry to that Old Testament church, to the Jews. Of course, his coming brings the light that lightens the Gentiles, as old Simeon recognized that very day when the babe, the Christ child, was brought to the temple. He held him in his arms Remember what he said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles. And he would be the light that would lighten the Gentiles. But that light would not shine to the Gentiles in the main until after his death and his resurrection. 
It's only then that that middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile is broken down. After his redemption is accomplished upon the cross and his resurrection into a life of glory. But in his ministry before that, on the earth, he is sent to the Jews, to the Old Testament church in the main. Not that he couldn't speak to a Gentile, interact with him. But in the main, he's sent to the Jews. And so he says to this woman, but you're not a Jew. You're a Gentile. I was sent to the Jews. I wasn't sent to you. Go away. Well, she doesn't go away. She keeps crying out after him. And she will not leave. And so finally, the Lord gives her, on the face of it, not merely cold silence or a cold shoulder, but now a cold jab. Verse 26. It is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Wait a minute here. Did he just? Yes, he did. He called her a dog. All the Gentiles dogs. But she's the Gentile to whom he's speaking. This is astounding. What is going on here? Sometimes people like to point out that the word for dog that the Lord uses is a diminutive word, so it refers to a small dog. And since he uses the image of the children at a table with bread, he's probably thinking of a pet dog, not some mangy mutt that's out there roaming the streets. That could be. But does it really make that big of a difference? A dog is a dog. He calls her a dog. How offensive. What's he saying here? The Gentiles, the pagan Gentiles are dogs. The Jews, they are the children of the master of the house, God in Jesus Christ. And the bread are the benefits of the covenant of grace. And it belongs to the Jews as the Old Testament church Collectively, organically, the children of Jehovah God. It doesn't belong to the Gentiles. And this, of course, was true too in general terms at this point before he had died and risen. At the beginning of Romans 9, the Apostle Paul says it. Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers? and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came. To the Israelites belong these things. 
They had all of this housed amongst them, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the promises. That's the children. And the benefits of those things are the children's bread. And the Lord is saying, just like you don't, gather your children around a table and bring out a nice meal and set it on that table. And then in the next moment, you take that meal off of the table and put it on the ground and invite the dogs in to come eat it all up. Wouldn't be right for me, woman, would it? For me to take what belongs to the Jews and give it to you, Gentile pagans? This is something else. It's the transition between Old Testament and New Testament, and the Lord knows it. Why does he say these things to her? Why doesn't he approach her the way he approached the Samaritan woman at the well with anticipation towards what is coming? The hour is coming and now is when nobody's going to worship at Jerusalem, but we'll worship in spirit and in truth. Why doesn't he speak to this woman that way, anticipating the New Testament time when the gospel goes to the ends of the earth? Why does he talk to her like this? Why does he treat her with such coldness? Some liberal theologians will say, this is proof that Jesus was in fact a sinner. Here are the cracks in his armor. He's sinning right here. He was tired. He was cranky. He didn't want to deal with this woman. And so, out of the sinfulness that was in him, he was mean and rude and racist to her. Blasphemy. Other more liberal Preachers and theologians won't go so far as to say that Jesus was sinning here, but they'll say that he was completely mistaken here and was completely narrow-minded in his approach to this woman. And this woman really broadened his mind by the way that she responded to him. That the Lord Jesus at this point didn't have any idea that his gospel was going to go beyond the borders of Israel. And that this woman taught him something that even beyond the Jews, Gentiles would maybe be interested in the message that he would have to bring. And this was a vast enlightenment for the Lord. Let me quote. Jesus was converted that day to a larger vision of the commonwealth of God, end quote. And again, quote, Jesus came to believe what this Gentile woman taught him, end quote. This is unbelief and doesn't even take into account the facts of Scripture. The Lord knows very well that the gospel is going to go beyond the boundaries of Israel, that His kingdom is going to broaden out to the Gentiles. He doesn't need to be taught this. This was all over the prophets of the Old Testament. In his interactions with that Samaritan woman, he shows that he understands this very well and anticipates what's coming after his death and resurrection. The Lord is not ignorant of this. But there are people who are with him who are ignorant of this. His disciples, 
And that's what this is all about. He's using this occasion to teach his disciples about the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth and that there is faith that God is working even in Gentiles. It's getting closer to the time when the Lord is going to be taken by cruel hands and be crucified and slain. In fact, he speaks to his disciples about his impending death in the next chapter already. And the Lord understands that as he's coming to the end of his ministry, he has to prepare his disciples for the fact that though it is not his main ministry, his main calling to go to the Gentiles, it will be theirs after his death and resurrection. And he's showing them that God will draw his people even from beyond the borders of Israel. That there will be astounding faith that he will work even in Gentiles in spite of the fact that the Jews treat these Gentiles like dirt and think of them as nothing. God's people are out there. Back in chapter 10, verse 5, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he sent his disciples on a preaching tour throughout Israel. He told them, don't go to the Gentiles. And he even used this same language. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles or into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now it's different. Now he's getting close to the end of his ministry. And these men must be prepared for this next stage of their work that they must go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they must have some exposure to this with him and see that God works in the hearts of his elect from outside the borders of Israel. He's come here to Gentile territory for this reason to bring them to this woman so that they can see this woman's faith. This explains why Jesus speaks to her like he does. He's speaking to her the way that they would speak to her. The way that they think about her. The Jews always called Gentiles dogs. And he knew this was in them. And he knows this is what's running through their minds. And so he gives voice to what they would say of her. And in doing that, exposes the faith that is in this woman. The astounding, strong, deep faith that in spite of the way that they think, God is working in this woman. What an astounding lesson for them. Don't forget, beloved, that the Lord knows what's in the hearts of all men. John 2, verse 25. And he needed not that any man should testify of any man, for he knew what was in man, and the Lord knows what is in this woman before him. He knows that God has planted the seed of new life in her. He knows the strong faith that he's worked in her. And he wants his disciples to see it in all of its humility and all of its strength. How else would they be convinced that there's real, genuine faith in this Gentile woman? That she's not just 
another one of the masses that wants to get something from him. That there's real God-worked faith here even in this Gentile who they think of as a dog. How will they know unless he voices all the things that they would say to her? And in spite of that, she expresses this faith, this deep humility, this persistence that will not go away, this trust in him, this appeal to him. That though a Gentile rebuffed, she has come into this house where Jesus is and persists in falling at the Lord's feet, crying out to him in humble faith. Is that why you're here this morning? Have you come into this house where Jesus is in spirit and in word? To humble yourself before him and to cry out to him out of your need in spite of whatever difficulty or obstacle may be in your way. Lord, help me. Ninety-nine point nine percent of people no. One hundred percent of people without the saving efficacy of the work of God in their heart would have been so offended by what the Lord Jesus said that they would have marched out of there in a huff of anger. <sighs> Who does this man think he is? <laughs> Calling me a dog. This man is the, is the friend of sinners. Yeah, right. Dog. And yet this woman, with God-given faith, gives a response that is astounding, that burns bright and warm as the Lord knew it would when he exposed it by his cold treatment of her. Let's take now the three responses of this woman. In the opposite sequence, first of all, in contrast to that cold jab of the Lord, the woman responds with warm humility. Verses 26 and 27, where Jesus says, it's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And her response is, and she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And you read that and it just goes by your mind. It doesn't strike you like it ought to strike you. And she said, now put there an empty line and you write in what you think. A hundred percent of people would respond with. And yet this woman, she owns it. She absorbs it. And without missing a beat, she says, yes, Lord. That's exactly what I am. I'm as a dog spiritually by nature before you. I have no rights to any of your blessings. I have no rights to 
any of your grace. I'm not a Jew. The adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the promises were given to the Jews, and I'm no Jew, but besides that, I'm just a sinful woman. I'm a wretch spiritually by nature, a dog in thy sight. You know, you can't really demean the child of God spiritually according to his nature. Because in his own mind, he's already down as far as you could possibly put him when he thinks of himself by nature. I'm nothing. I have nothing. It's nothing that I can offer you. In me dwells no good thing by nature. And I have no rights to receive anything from you, Jesus. Not a thing. Is this your confession this morning? Do you own this when thinking of yourself by nature? After all, this is what the Reformed faith says about you by nature. Not in Jesus Christ, of course. But what is total depravity except this? You're valueless spiritually by nature. You have nothing within you that would make God turn his eye towards you and say, yes, yes, here, here is someone who is worthy of my grace in comparison to everybody else. There's something in this one that can, that can can cooperate with what I want to do in them and will, will help me save them. I, I can see it in them. There's other systems of theology that'll tell you that. Not biblical ones, but they will. But the biblical one will say what the Lord says here. You have nothing. Nothing by nature to make you worthy of any of his grace. Do you own that? That this is who I am before thee, Lord. Nothing in my hands I bring. I am a dog, spiritually, by nature. With no innate value and no right to the blessings of the covenant that are on the table. But, Lord, sometimes even dogs are given a crumb of thy grace. They don't deserve it, and I don't deserve even a crumb, but sometimes, God, a dog gets just a crumb. Do you have a crumb for me, Lord? Undeserved, but a crumb for me. There's times when the master will take the meal after the meal is finished and he'll, he'll sweep the, the crumbs off of the table onto the floor. No master forbids the dog then from coming in and, and getting a, pit, a bit of bread, a little bit of crumbs. 
And there's times, Lord, aren't there, where the children at the table, they don't really understand what's there before them. They're presumptuous about it, and they don't, they don't treat the meal like they ought to treat the meal, and so they're, they're flighty with it, and some crumbs fall off the table, and no master would forbid the dog to come and just get a crumb that falls, Lord, may it not be the case that you're coming here out of Israel into this place. It's a crumb that falls from the table of Israel to me here, an undeserving sinner. A warm humility in contrast to the cold jab. Second, notice her warm appeal in spite of the Lord's cold shoulder. Verse 25, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. She falls down and worships him. That is, she either got on her knees before him or she laid flat upon her face and grabbed his feet worshiping him or or grabbed his hand, kissing his hand, casting herself upon him. Lord, help me. You can read all the dogmatics books that have been written in the history of the church, the faithful ones, and learn all that there is to learn about faith, beloved, and that'd be a good thing to do. There's many wonderful things to know and learn, strengthening to learn about faith, and yet I don't think any of them could summarize faith any better than this. Lord, help. Help me. I don't deserve anything. But I have nothing if I don't have you. In you is everything, and in me is nothing. And I cast myself entirely upon thee. Help me, Lord. Again and again and again, she persists in this, and she will not leave, and she will not stop in spite of his cold jab and in spite of his cold shoulder and in spite of his cold silence. Finally, notice her warm confession in contrast to the Lord's cold silence. What makes her faith humble so that she sees herself as a dog before him? And what makes her faith active and living and persistent so that she casts herself upon him again and again and again and will not relent? It's not only the fact that she knows herself as she is, although that first, but it's also that she knows him as he is. Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. That's her warm confession. And while Lord can either be a term honoring him as the Messiah or simply a term of respect, Son of David can only have one meaning. She knows him as the Messiah, sent of God. She knows the Old Testament scriptures somehow. 
and the prophecies that said that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. And that title that he's given all throughout the Old Testament, Son of David. And she confesses him as this. She confesses him, the Messiah, in a very Jewish-like way. This woman knows the Bible. She knows him. And she knows that in front of her, His holiness Himself and purity, God Himself come down in human flesh. And she knows herself, in light of His holiness, as nothing but a dog, spiritually undeserving, with nothing to offer Him. And yet she knows that when the Messiah comes, He comes to save sinners. That He's merciful. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. And she makes her appeal to him knowing who he is, knowing his character. She has nothing else to appeal to. She can't appeal to her Jewishness. She can't appeal to the fact that the adoption and the covenants belong to her in some way. She can't appeal to the child's right to the master's table. All she can appeal to is the fact that she knows This is the Messiah of God, and the Messiah of God is merciful to sinners who know their sin. And she casts herself upon him. And she will not relent because she knows you're merciful, you're merciful, you're merciful. Beloved, we live in a culture... that like never before is a culture of entitlement. You deserve. You have the right. It's a culture where everyone deserves a trophy. It's a culture where Everyone has the right to this from the government or that. And this can so easily affect us. It can come into the church and affect the way that even the people of God think about things. Even think about their life with Him. And their life in the church. I deserve. I have the right that the church... And though we never say it out loud, how about in the motives and in the thinking of the heart? But God, don't I deserve, don't I have the right for you to give me this in my life? And God, don't you know who I am? I am entitled to this, aren't I? And how dare you give me this in my life? I'm entitled to something. Who do we think we are? don't have the right to anything. We're not entitled to a single thing. 
May that not be the way that you and I come to this table next Sunday morning. That body and that blood is my right. I'm entitled to it. But Lord, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve this Savior. I am nothing before you in myself. By nature, I'm as a, as a dog before you. I don't even deserve a crumb to fall from this table. But Lord, Lord, even dogs get crumbs sometimes. In your grace and your mercy as the Savior of sinners, may a crumb fall from off this table to me. Undeserving me. In your grace and mercy, Lord, may it be That's how you come. Lord, help me. I don't appeal to my name. I don't appeal to my race, to my ethnicity, to my parents or my grandparents. I don't have anything. I don't have rights by any of this to come to this table in myself. I have nothing, no right to it. But I know who you are. You are the Son of God made flesh and you are merciful to sinners who come to you humbled and in faith. And I come casting myself entirely upon thee. A speck of grace, Lord. Even just a crumb. That's faith. That's humble, persistent faith. That's what it means to be spiritually prepared to come to this table, beloved. That I examine myself and I see all over again how true it really is that I don't deserve anything from this God and from this Christ. And yet I come knowing who he is and cast myself upon him and his mercy Again and again, just like I came last time, the Lord's Supper, just like I came last Sunday, and I cast myself, and I'm not going to go away. Lord, help me. Help me in your grace. Let's pray for that faith in us, that we may come together that way to the table next Sunday morning. Let's pray for that faith for the little ones who are with us, even though they don't eat of that table yet. Remember that at the end of the day, this woman is appealing to the Lord for her daughter who is under the influence of the devil. And does not every grandparent and every parent and every cousin and uncle and aunt and everyone who is not related to a single child here except in the best way by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Don't we all cry out to the Lord Jesus Lord, deliver the little ones of the church, the young people of the church from the influence of the devil so that they come before Thee, Lord, crying out with this humble faith as recipients of the promises in Thy covenant. Not merely just there before them, but recipients by Thy grace confessing, I don't have anything to appeal to.
Father, I am nothing in myself. I have no rights, no privileges. I'm not entitled to anything. I'm as a dog by nature spiritually before thee. And I cast myself entirely upon this Christ for healing from my guilt and from the power of sin in my life. The woman's faith and appeal is answered by the Lord. It's answered in front of the disciples who must have been absolutely amazed at what this woman was doing and saying. And it must have been cut to the quick when they hear the Lord Jesus say to her, after he has been saying, even to them, why are you doubting? Do you not yet understand? And then he says to her, oh woman, great is your faith. Here is what faith is. Here is what great faith is. The knowledge of my own unworthiness and the continual casting of myself upon the Lord Jesus Christ is my only hope. Come with that faith, beloved. And you will hear him say to you next Sunday morning, though you won't believe it, as his gift to you, great is your faith. I've given it to you, but it's yours. And you express it. Be healed. This very hour, be healed. I forgive you of your sins. I strengthen you unto life with me. I give you my body broken, my blood poured out. I give you a place at my table. No longer merely a dog, but a son, a child, with a place at the table. And not merely a crumb fall off to you but a whole loaf for you my sons and daughters may God grant it amen father in heaven bless the proclamation of thy word to our hearts and bring us back next Sunday morning Lord with this kind of humbled casting and persistent faith In Jesus' name we pray, amen.